Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Matthew chapter 5, we'll actually be looking very specifically at verse 48 as we continue our series, The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And here's one for you. What? Me? Perfect? I don't know about you guys, but when I hear the word perfect and then insert my name someplace in a sentence using that word, it's like, "Mm -mm. nope, got the wrong guy. Not happening. It hasn't ever been true. I I don't think and cannot think of a single area of my life where I could look you in the eye and honestly convey to you, yep, I'm perfect, and fill in the blank. And yet, there's a pretty plain statement here. Let's pick up in verse 43 for context and then take this subject. What? Me perfect? Verse 43, Matthew 5, part of the Sermon on the Mount, a very intense and yet very challenging message that Jesus preaches. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Words of Jesus here. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you more than others have? Do not even tax collectors do so? And here it comes, verse 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Did Jesus really just say we need to be perfect like God is perfect? And and if he did, and if that's what was intended, how in the world do we get there? What is the Lord trying to say to us in light of this very challenging message? Can you imagine those that are listening, who have just heard Jesus say, love your enemies. Do good to people who hurt you, spitefully use you. Those things would be challenging enough. Amen? And if God himself were in those situations, no doubt he would handle them perfectly. And then Jesus says, in light of what I have just said to you, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. What was it that Jesus was getting at when he makes this statement? I know for me, I can just say categorically to you, 
I am not and never have been perfect. Ever. Not as a pastor, not as a Bible college teacher, not as a camp director, not as an administrative pastor, not as an assisting pastor, not as a husband, not as a father, not as a citizen, just fill in the blank. There's not a single thing that when I hear the word perfect, I would ever say to you, honestly, yep, I'm perfect at that. And yet, that appears to be what Jesus has said. And so let's look at the Bible and perfection. Now let me give you the short answer first to kind of set the stage so we can track correctly with this principle, blamelessness and perfection, no stains, no sin in the life of a believer. That is the goal. The goal is for every believer, let me be very clear here, the goal is for you as a Christian, the goal is for you to be perfect. That's the goal. Sinless perfection, social perfection, physical perfection that you would take care of your temple. Perfection is actually in view for every believer. The question is, what is Jesus getting at when he says perfection? Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Because the reality is, there's not a person in this room who feels like they have ever been perfect. I know I don't. And I'm just going to assume that you all would agree with that. I'm not perfect. Matter of fact, I could point you to some areas that if you cared to look, you'd go, hmm, that needs work. That's not quite Jesus. That certainly isn't God in all of his infinite holiness working out in this world. Some of us are sitting here this morning going, well, I'm not only not close, I'm very far off. And I think if we're honest, we're going to find that there are areas where we are closer to that perfection that the Bible speaks about. And there are areas that we're quite a ways distant. I've met people who are absolutely, they're wonderful at not doing drugs. Haven't stolen anything. You know, we would go through this list that we call the Ten Commandments. You know, God, they're at church all the time and they seem to love the Lord. They love other people and, you know, they've been married for a long time. But you know what's really crazy? Is sometimes those are bitter people. Those are angry people. Those are mean-spirited people. Here's one that's going to sting a little bit. A lot of times those are prideful, arrogant people. Because they think they've arrived. They actually act like they're more perfect than they really are. And so the fact that they're striving for perfection actually becomes a false god to them. Did you hear what I just said? They actually get so engaged in the process of perfection that the perfection itself becomes a God to them. And so they actually have another God, and their God is, I'm better than you. (laughs) 
Is that true? I think you've probably all met those people, haven't you? The ones that on one side you would say, oh, yeah, you know, that's the biggest Bible I've ever seen anyone carry. They speak constantly in King James English. Even though the rest of the world kind of left it behind about 400 years ago. And so actually their striving for perfection has actually become just that, striving. And it creates strife amongst other people. So what is Jesus saying? What does he really want from us? The Bible is actually quite clear. Biblical perfection does not and is not shown to be a state that human beings attain to while they're still on this earth. Biblical perfection rather, and in fact the word is translated very often that's used here, teleos, that word is used to mean maturity. It's used to mean completion. And when we think of that, we almost never in our minds think of maturity or completion as actually having an end. It is a goal. Amen? I want to be more mature today than I was yesterday. But just because I am maturing does not mean I have fully matured. And so it's a process. Our sanctification is linked to a process whereby we are becoming day by day more like Jesus. The reason this is so important is this. Because the person that thinks they've arrived actually hasn't. The mere fact that you think you've gotten to that state of sinless perfection, sinlessness, means that you haven't. Because what has crept in actually is arrogance and pride. Comparative reasoning whereby you look at others and think yourself more highly of yourself than you ought. Exactly as scripture says you shouldn't. Because the only comparative way that we can look at those things would be by comparing ourselves to others, which we are not supposed to do. And so in a sense, perfection is an unattainable goal while you're here. While you're stuck in a mortal body that's prone to sin. It is the goal, but it is always slightly out of reach. Why? Because you have a sin nature. You, you live in a world that's filled with temptation and test. And in fact, your mind is part of your flesh. And your flesh, while redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, ultimately is still very much capable of sinning. Hence Paul's writing to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 7, wherein he uses personal pronouns to describe his own behavior and his own process of sanctification, wherein he says, these things which I will to do, I do not do. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, I, I have a problem with perfection. So what is the meaning that's before us? Well, Paul answers this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus became for us what we cannot become for ourselves. 
In that sense, positionally, you were positioned in Christ and God the Father sees you positionally as perfect because of what Jesus did. In other words, the perfection that God sees is Christ's perfection. The perfection the world sees is what you ain't yet. Amen? You see, the world would be able, people would be able to look and go, yeah, I saw Pastor Jeff driving down Vermont. That was not 45 miles an hour. (laughs) That was almost a stop. And I'm not airing out any more of my dirty laundry, okay? (laughs) But when you talk about perfection, you need to get it right. It means absolutely perfect 100% of the time. You see, that's where we can all continue in our maturity, continue in our perfection, keep getting better, strive towards something that's better than I was yesterday. But the truth is, the quality that's in view there is only possessed by God himself, which would mean God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So God is perfect. We should attempt, with everything within us, to be perfect as he is perfect. We should be striving towards that goal. What do we do about this as as mere mortals? You see, because there's the perfection of God, there's the perfection of Christ, and then there's perfection in human beings as we might see it. This one passage, let me say this to you, this one passage is the only passage in the entire Bible where Christians are even told to strive towards that perfection. In other words, be perfect as your Father is perfect. Why? Because it's one of those things that we would look at and go, Me be exactly like God? You know, sometimes we we listen to things, we recognize its truth, but we also at the same time recognize, no, that's not happening. Not because we don't want to, but because we fight that battle in our flesh. Anybody in here have trouble loving unlovable people? I mean, that's not natural, is it? If it is, please, you can have the pulpit and you can tell us how to do it. Because I haven't figured that one out yet. I try really hard to love unlovable people. I, I do. But sometimes I fail. I think things I know God's not happy about. It's like, I'm not thinking, oh, Lord, that's just so wonderful that they just slaughtered my character. I just can't wait to have my soul bruised a little deeper. I know I need it, God. I'm just so excited. That person's going to come in and shred me today. Oh, I'm not thinking that. Sometimes it's a mixture of pain. Sometimes it's a mixture of anger. Sometimes it seems unfair. All of those human emotions that flow through us, God gave you those emotions. 
And they're supposed to be governed by the Holy Spirit. But the fact of the matter is, in those little nanoseconds between the Spirit governing that situation and your flesh going, what about me? Maybe you end up in that spot that you're not supposed to be in too. I know I do occasionally. As hard as I try not to. I live in a body of death. That holy perfection that God has, I desperately want. I can also tell you I'm a lot better than I used to be at doing these things. Praise the Lord for the journey of sanctification. Amen? Things I used to really struggle with, now I only kind of sort every once in a while, maybe occasionally, go like, yeah, you know, I could have handled that better. Connie and I are heading towards having been married for nearly 50 years. That's crazy to think about. I can tell you, I haven't been the perfect husband. There are still times, there's just those, and you, it's Valentine's Day tomorrow, right? Let's square this up right now. It's not perfect in the Gill House. Every once in a while, just some little thing that just tweaks me. It's like, that's the 875,000th time I've seen you do that, and I still don't get it. And like in the back of my mind, it's like, why don't you change? And then God reminds me, why don't you change? <laughs> Amen. Yes. Be ye therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jeff, not so much. Still some work to do. Still occasionally think something he shouldn't think. Say something he shouldn't say and live long enough to have to apologize for said thing that shouldn't have been said. Amen. But I am supposed to be an imitator of God. One of the things that's the weirdest thing, uh, being a parent, is you, you see your children as they get older, and they have your mannerisms, your walk, they talk like you do, they use the same examples. Uh, there's all these little subtleties that you didn't think anybody was looking. Nobody saw that. Your children did. And as children of God... We are constantly hearing the Spirit's voice, and we should be a whole lot like our Heavenly Father. He should have influenced us in a very wonderful way so that we are not just imitators, but we're attempting to be exactly like Daddy is. And I don't mean to demean our Heavenly Father, but He is Abba. He's Dad. And we're supposed to be following Him, to be perfect like He is. I want to be mature. When your children are little, you, you kind of have a lot of slack for them, right? And here's the very common thing that most parents will say, how can I get mad at my child? I did the same thing myself. Amen? Only worse. <laughs> you know, very often we're like, oh, I, can, I, I pity parents who say things like, well, I would never do that. Because number one, it's not true. Number two, you did. <laughs> you know, it's like... So, so when we imitate our Heavenly Father, He can only do what is righteous. 
He will always do what is perfect. Everything he does falls into that category of perfection. And so if we're imitating him, which we will if we're truly his children, then we're going to end up more like him every single day. It's perfection, it's maturity, it's a journey. What a beautiful journey it is. I find so many people, though, that get stuck in their own performance And unfortunately, what happens when they do that is they get very, very disappointed in said performance and oftentimes just give up trying to imitate their father. Because somewhere, somewhere, someone along the line told them, oh, well, you know, you you still sin. I've had children of parents come to me, well, my dad said we can be sinlessly perfect. And we are as a family. I go, yeah, that's why you're arrogant right now. It's because you're sinlessly perfect. Wait until you've lived past 12 and then come and tell me how you did with the sinlessly perfect thing. What does the Bible talk about when we talk about sinless perfection? Well, let me just be really straightforward. Shoot you right where it counts in the heart, that is the Bible never paints a single person in the entire Bible that isn't God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit as perfect. That would be Peter, that would be James, that would be John, that would be Paul. They all had their faults and weaknesses as believers. That doesn't mean we have built-in failure. That means that while we're still in these bodies which are mortal, prone to sin and death with the sin nature, that attempting to be like God the Father is going to be a task at which, at times, we are probably not going to succeed, even though we are trying with all of our might. We are incapable of being holy because that's an attribute of God, and you're not God. It's really that simple. We're encouraged deeply and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. In other words, those tests that you have when you steadfastly resist the devil, when you go against the plans of the enemy, when you say yes to Jesus and no to sin, you're on the right path. You're going the right direction. You are being like your heavenly father. But don't get too confused that you're ever going to be him while you're here. You're going to have your struggles. Praise God, they're not the same struggles. I I like to tell people, if they want to understand this, there is a difference, a marked difference between sinlessness and sinning less. Do you understand what I'm saying? As a believer, you absolutely should be able to say with all of your might, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, that I sin less than I used to. Amen? That's the goal. Ultimately, you will be practically and perfectly sinless. In other words, not sinning at all, but it is going to be here. It's going to be there. But the goal along the line is to sin less. 
In other words, to actively engage your whole body, soul, mind, and strength in the process of being mature to understand that you are a sinner who needs a Savior and you're doing everything you can to be just like your Savior. That will lead you to sinning less. Not sinlessness. Though that is the goal, you're simply going to be in the process of getting there until Jesus punches your ticket. Amen? You remember the Baskin Robbins, the thing, the little, you pull them down, you still get, I think Joanne Fabrics used to have them. Now they've gone even to electronic where you've got to look on your phone. It's like, oh, I'm number 805. But you remember when you, it's like, uh, we're now serving number 33. Well, that's going to be you one day. Jesus is going to call your ticket and you're going home. And at that point in time, all the toppings going on your Sunday, okay? <laughs> like the gummy bears, the sprinkles, and everything's getting dumped on that puppy. It's like y'all going to be done. Like ready for heaven. Until then, you're kind of pretty much vanilla. You're like one flavor. You're not, you're not quite ready. You're not that masterful Sunday yet. You're kind of a bowl of ice cream. Still really good. A lot better than what you used to be. You were a bowl of dirt before. <laughs> but one day you're going to be perfect, but you're, you're on a process, and that journey hasn't come to a conclusion yet. The Apostle Paul actually said of his own life that he had not yet attained sinless perfection. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, and I'm reading from the New Living just for emphasis. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Jesus Christ first possessed me. Get the picture? It's like I'm on the journey. That's the goal. That's what I want to be, but I haven't gotten there yet. Same truth is there in Hebrews chapter 10. God made us holy through Christ's sacrifice. The truth is what he made us was into one of his children and thereby positionally we're seen in Christ. But while we're still here in this flesh, the apostle Paul knew this so well that he took the better part of a full chapter there in Romans chapter 7 verses 14 to 24 to explain to us we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Paul's a Christian. Paul's not an unbeliever when he writes these things. And he goes on to include the personal pronoun I or me or mine. And he just goes over and over and over all the way nearly to the end of the chapter. And as he speaks these things, he finally says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's speaking about his physical existence while he's here on earth. And then he says, praise God, Christ is going to do that eventually. That's the deal. That's the whole thing. Your perfection is going to come one day. You're going to step out of time and into eternity. And the God that saved you is actually going to also fully perfect you. No more sin. No more death, no more dying, no more of all this stuff. Hallelujah. 
In the meantime, let's help him on that process. What that means is in perfection, we're constantly maturing. To be perfect, the word translated there actually is more often translated mature, teleos, and it it means to be completed or full-grown or mature. Paul uses this in Ephesians 4, he uses it in Colossians chapter 1, and as he does so, he's talking about the potential versus the reality. Now, can you stay with me here for a second? Potential and reality are often not the same thing. Hence, what might be the outcome of the Super Bowl today? The Rams have the potential to win. But the reality is, unless they play to their ability, they will not realize a Super Bowl victory. In Jesus' name. (laughs) They have all this potential. Cooper Cup in the end zone, touchdown. He's got to catch the pass, amen? Matthew Stafford's got to throw the ball, amen? So see, there's the potential and there's the reality. With regard to perfection, you are in the same state. You have the potential to do absolutely everything that God wants you to do. You have that gifted. You have the Holy Spirit in you. The Spirit that flung the stars into space is in you. So you have the potential. Where we have the problem is the reality of day-to-day living, isn't it? Sometimes I drop balls. Sometimes I don't throw the pass where it needs to go. Not because I want to. There's not a chance in this world that Matthew Stafford's going to step behind. He's going to be behind center. He's going to take the snap and go, man, I'm throwing this one in the stands. <laughs> no, he's going to try and hit the receiver, right? And the same thing is true for you today. How do we know that? Because he who called you is perfect. He who drafted the playbook is perfect. He who saved you in Christ Jesus is perfect. He who makes these things able to you is perfect. You see, the potential you have is unlimited. The reality is up to you. It's up to you. You live out your life in Christ Jesus. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You come alongside. I was listening. Uh, You called the play. I ran it, and I got it. You fulfill your potential to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Amen? That is what true perfection actually is. It's not going to come here. It's going to come if the church gets raptured, which I pray happens today, even before the game would be fine. (laughs) Then we wouldn't have to sit around and wonder, okay? We could all be in heaven. But if he calls you home today, if he calls me home today, if he brings his church home all together, we're all going to then be absolutely perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. It will happen instantaneously then. In the meantime, I've got some work to do. I've got some work to do. I need to work out a little more. I need to press on a little harder. 
I need to strengthen feeble hands to the task at hand. I need to resist the devil and he will flee. I need to think about my life in the context of what does God want for me today, not what does Jeff want for me today. Do you understand the difference? You see, I can know that God wants me to do something for him, and I can say, mm, nah, I'm busy, thanks. I can know that God has a plan for my life, and I can fail to engage in what he has for me. That's up to me. God doesn't make me do what he wants me to do. We are not robots. He continues to allow his people to have choice. And whether you believe that's free will or not free will doesn't even matter to me. What matters is the Bible throughout cover to cover puts the onus on us to do the will of him who sent us. Called us. When Jesus, even Jesus submitted to God the Father. If he did so, so do I. It's up to me. I have to submit. And so I want to speak to you one final thing here. While we should be mature, and while that is the goal, and we may fall a tad short, I hope we don't fall short much at all ever. That is my goal. I believe it's yours as well. Get off your own case. You are very often your own worst enemies. I don't know anybody who's beat me up more than me. And at times that's been through legalism, that's been through false standards that no one else could keep either. There, there have been times I have allowed even sometimes my own Bible reading to become something that becomes negative because I get through part of numbers and I go, man, I'm just not reading the rest of this book. But it's God's word. I'm like, but I don't care how many Israelites needed to go to this particular city. And all of a sudden I'm like, well, I don't care. I wonder if I'm saved. Because I don't care what the book of numbers says. You're in a body of death, and church is going to be a battle. I'm actually teaching this Thursday night a study on spiritual warfare very specifically. We're going to take a little break because that's kind of the, the topic that we're in, in in the book of Joshua, and I'm going to teach very specifically on spiritual warfare because I believe that we're a large percentage of us battling really hard right now. Isaiah 64 says this, verses 5 and 6, when you meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you and your ways, you're indeed angry, for we've sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags and will fade away as the leaf, and our iniquities like the wind, for he has taken us away. The impossibility of that righteousness while we're still in this life, is not impossible to God. It's very possible in him. Through him, all things are possible. Amen? Amen? The problem's me. <laughs> I'm the weak link in the chain. You're the weak link in the chain. And if you don't see this particular principle, then you might be tempted to think 
that you actually are at some point in time while you're still here never going to struggle ever again in any area of your life. You're not ever going to be angry. You're not ever going to have a thought that shouldn't be in a believer's head. You're not ever going to drive like me. And again, I'm way better than I used to be. The problem is, while I'm still here, that sin nature every once in a while pops up its ugly head and goes, you don't really want to do that, do you? And your flesh goes, "Mm -mm, no, not really, not right now. And so you have a little war that goes on. In that moment, the righteousness that's in you that was put there by Christ is going, well, Jeff, we live differently now. That's not who you are. And your flesh is going, yeah, but that was yesterday. Today's a new day, and these people are extra specially awful. (laughs) And so, God knows. We call that justification, amen? I know you guys would never justify your sin, but that's because you're liars. Amen. True that? (laughs) That's true. We all got a little hypocrite in us, okay? You got the hypocrite gene. You were born that way. You want to blame your life on something? Blame it on your perpetual hypocrite. You see what the Lord is doing is he's trying to get us to confess our bankruptcy. Our spiritual need our deep abiding need for the Lord to touch us every moment of every day. You see, when I'm at my most perfect, I am also at my most needy. When I realize how far short I fall, then I cry out to the one who can fix the problem. That's what happens. It's like, Lord, man, I still got a ways to go. I still got things you're doing in my life. I still have things that you want to accomplish that I haven't gotten there yet. It's the whole context of John 15, one of the I am statements, I am the vine. You are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do absolutely nothing. You see my moments of imperfection is when I'm attempting to rest in yesterday's manna when I want to try and do it myself. When I say I've already gotten there, I've already arrived, that's where I have problems. That's where my imperfections show up. And so to the extent that I stay in the vine, that's why Paul could write in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, not as though I've already attained or I'm already perfect, but I follow after that if I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of by Jesus Christ. In other words, when I really realize that I'm not there yet, that I'm chasing hard after Jesus. And I'm trying to find the reason that he found me in the first place. That that grace was imparted to me for a purpose, and that purpose is for me to change. From the moment of your new birth, you were accounted Accounted as perfect. God looked at you and said, in my son Jesus, you 
are perfect. Your standing is perfect. But as to my state, there's a whole lot of land that still needs to be possessed. There's still a journey to go on. There's still measures of holiness that need to be deepened and strengthened. And so I pray one day, as 1 John 3 says, we will be like him. Until that day, let's give everything we have to that task. Amen? Would you stand and we'll close in prayer? If you need prayer after service, we have our prayer team in the prayer room. Love to pray with you specifically about something that's on your heart, some area where you just need some extra help. But don't be down on yourself. Jesus died to save you from you, and he did that completely. Amen? So he has a plan for your life to get you home. Join him in that plan. Father, we thank you for the journey of sanctification that one day will lead us to perfection in heaven. And we pray that as we live our lives on this earth, that you who loves us with an undying love would impart these wonderful spiritual principles to our lives, that we would act on them, live in them, grow in them, be more like you day by day. And God, when we stumble, when our toes get kicked up against the bed frame of life, God, would you cause us to realize that we probably should have moved a little further around that area that troubles us. We, we probably should have done some deeper resisting of sin. God, maybe we needed to actually put more effort into our walk with you. Help us to do that, Lord. We want to be perfect as you are perfect. Help us with our weaknesses. Strengthen those things that are in us that are good. And remove those things that need to go. Use us for your glory. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.